Well, good morning. As we watch that video, what we see is that the events of the manger scene and the cross are so tragically and beautifully intertwined. You can't have one without the other, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, because the events that took place at the manger led to the events of the cross. And when you talk about the true meaning of Christmas, we're going to be exploring that this morning. But before we do, I just wanted to um, encourage everyone here. We have, about a month ago, we passed out these invitations for Christmas services. And today is the last day that it makes sense for you to take some with you. Because Christmas Eve is this Tuesday, and I noticed we still have a stack sitting on the welcome desk in the lobby. And the reason we did this, it's great that you can put one on your refrigerator so you remember the service times, but we made these up as invitations for our church family for you to give out to your friends and neighbors and family members uh, so that it gives them a place to come and hear about the true meaning of Christmas, to hear the gospel on Christmas. And this coming Tuesday, we have three services, um, 2.30, 4 o'clock, and 6 o'clock. Um, you can attend any one of those and you can invite your friends to any one of those. So, as Tom always says every year, um, if you don't take them, they're going to end up as um, pa paper for your bird cages. So, um, I really want to encourage you on your way out to grab one at the welcome desk and think through who is it that you would like to invite out this Christmas. And we do, we hope to see you um, this Tuesday for our Christmas Eve services as we celebrate the birth of Christ and the gospel will be very clear. And this morning, <clears throat> we're going to be exploring the theme of why Christmas. And if you look on the platform here, you'll see that we have a Christmas tree out. Um, and the Christmas tree really represents Christmas to people. And um, by the way, I'm going to apologize up front. You're probably going to see me drinking water this morning. Somehow, I've gotten sick about three weeks ago, and it hasn't left. And sadly, I was talking to some people the other day who said they went to the doctor, and there's something going around that lasts about six or seven weeks. And, um, but I, I'm, not feeling that, I'm not feeling bad, but my voice is, um, may go a little bit. So anyway, but as you, as you look at the Christmas tree, it really it represents Christmas. And hopefully for us, as disciples of Jesus Christ, when we think about Christmas, we think immediately about the birth of Christ. That's why we're celebrating Christmas. You look behind me on the wall and you see the cross. And the cross represents the death and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he made on our behalf. And these are represent, representative. So when we see the cross, we usually think of the crucifixion and hopefully the resurrection. I, I remember going back, I'm gonna go back a few years to when I was in elementary school. And um, I know I hear some chuckles. And um, that was, I'll put it right out, that was in the early 70s. And um, I, went, I went through schools in part of the Upper Dublin School District all the way from kindergarten through my graduation in 12th grade. And I can remember, though, back in early elementary school, at Christmas time, we used to exchange Christmas cards. So if you had about 25 kids in your class, you would bring a little paper bag with 25 Christmas cards usually with pictures of Santa and reindeer and Hermie the elf and, you know, the Grinch or whatever it may be, Frosty the snowman. Now, we had a, um, our school district had quite a, a significant Jewish population as well, so there was always Hanukkah cards that were mixed in there, and nobody ever really thought anything of it. 
But then by the time I hit probably by at least sixth grade, um, Christmas cards were no longer allowed on the school property. So somehow somebody had came up with the idea that um, Santa Claus and Frosty and Rudolph and Hermie somehow were um, biblical, you know, Christian religious figures. So I can't figure that out because for the last 30, 40 years I've been reading the Bible and trying to find them in there and I haven't found one yet. But, um, you know, so they were ruled out to be, you know, religious symbols and then we no longer were able to exchange Christmas cards. And as I mentioned, hopefully for us as followers of Jesus Christ, when we see a symbol like a Christmas tree, um, you're not going to find a Christmas tree in the Bible either, but hopefully for us, our minds go to the fact that we are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Just like when you look at the cross, hopefully it brings you to the place of worship when you remember our Savior died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and then we can think about the glory of the resurrection. So we have these um, symbols but as, as we think about it, God planned the birth of Jesus Christ, his death on a cross, and the resurrection in eternity past. You see, God didn't just kind of make up these events along the way. They were planned from eternity past. It wasn't like as if, you know, a couple, whatever, thousands of years ago when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, got together and said, wow, we didn't see that one coming. What are we going to do now? Hey, I know. How about maybe if Jesus <coughs> um, goes down to the earth. Hold on a second. I made it through the first service until the last two minutes. <coughs> and I don't think it's going to work this time. But it's not like that the, you know, the Trinity would try, well, let's figure out what we should do hey, I know, let's send Jesus down to the earth. You see, in God's plan of redemption from eternity past, it was planned that Jesus Christ, the Son, was going to go down to the earth because God knew that we as human beings, he created us, but he knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. He knew that we were going to rebel. He knew that we were going to need a Savior, and he had planned all along that Jesus the Son was going to be the way of salvation for mankind. And that's what we're celebrating here at Christmas. You see that little baby that was born in the manger, the suffering servant who died on the cross, and Jesus Christ today in all of his glory, because trust me, if we saw Jesus today in what he looks like, we would fall on our knees in worship when we saw his glory and majesty. But the baby the suffering servant, and Jesus in his glory are all one and the same person. Jesus, the Son of God. Two weeks ago, Riverstone Church participated in the Yardley Christmas Parade. And I'm going to put a um, picture up on the screen here because we, we made a float for the Yardley Christmas Parade. And there it is. And on the side of it, it says, A Savior is born. This is really cool because Yardley does this every year. And we are invited in by the township, the community, and we, have a, we had a float in there. Our, our youth group came along, you know, Jeremy brought quite a few of our teens, and they walked alongside of the float distributing bracelets and then invitations, just like I showed you, to our Christmas Eve services, all, down the, all through the borough of Yardley. And this year, they asked our church if we would provide carolers. 
So Benjamin got a group of carolers together. They stationed them at the Wawa right down in the borough, down by the um, post office. And they were there singing Christmas carols throughout the, the Yardley Christmas Parade. And what an opportunity that is. As Benjamin mentioned, there's so much confusion at Christmas. You know, we got Santa, we got Frosty, we got Christmas trees, we got the Grinch, and, you know, and, and then we have Jesus. And so here we are as a church invited to participate with the statement, a Savior is born. And God opened up some opportunities. I heard some of the stories about conversations that started up about Riverstone Church. Um, I haven't heard one yet about necessarily the gospel, but what an opportunity, though for conversations to start up about Jesus Christ by that participation. And um, I did hear a couple people say, well, I would have liked to carol, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it back on you. If that's your, you felt like, man, I wish I knew about it, I would have gone caroling. Next year, we'll probably do the very same thing, so talk to Benjamin if you want to go Christmas caroling in Yardley. But um, as I looked at our float, and, and I thought about just that video we showed to start the service, and I was thinking how appropriate it would be if we had the crash. by the way, you don't know, that big wooden thing is called a crash. that's part of the manger scene, um, if you had a crash and the cross in the same image. Now, I'm not saying we should do that for the Yardley Christmas Parade necessarily, because the people that pulled this off did an amazing job, if you look at what's up there. But how appropriate is it when we talk about the birth of Jesus Christ and the manger to include the cross? Because in our society today, in our culture, the world tends to accept the birth of Jesus Christ and the nativity, although they sanitize it, but utterly reject the cross. So you think about it. You could go down to the mall today, and you can listen to what's on the radio, going over the speakers, and they're singing about the birth of Jesus Christ in the mall. But try going in there around Easter time, and do you think you'll ever hear anything about the crucifixion and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's no way you're going to hear that. So our world sanitizes the birth of Jesus Christ. I think part of it is because a helpless little baby in his mother's arms is pretty safe. But a Savior who died on a cross for the forgiveness of sins is pretty threatening to a secular world. And I want to encourage us, as we think about it, you can't have one without the other. You can't have Christmas without Easter. You can't have Easter without Christmas. You can't have a Savior on a cross without the birth of a Savior in human flesh. We can't have Christmas without Easter. They go together. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But as we do, we're going to be asking a question. Why Christmas? Said another way, why did Jesus Christ come as a little baby and live among us? Well, to help us answer that question, I'm going to begin by putting our um, statement of faith, our position on the person of Jesus Christ on the screen. And let's take a look at what it says. We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person in two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father, 
as our high priest, which I'm going to touch on in a little bit, and advocate. So what we see here, it says, we believe Jesus Christ is God incarnate. So that word incarnate comes, it's a theological term for the word incarnation, which is a Latin term that means the act of being made flesh. So as we think about it, what it means, that Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, took on human flesh and lived among us as a man. What an amazing concept to think about. See, try to grasp the thought of God in all of his glory coming down and taking on human flesh, living among us, being born in a manger, being born in a stable that was you know, not exactly the Holiday Inn, and living a life on this earth to die on a cross, to just comprehend the concept of the Incarnation. You see, the church and theologians have struggled with the doctrine of the Incarnation for 2,000 years. See, some people have erred towards the side of denying the humanity of Jesus Christ. See, they had a hard time believing that a holy and sovereign and just immutable and omnipresent God could come to the earth and be confined to a human body. So they struggled with this, so they started to deny the humanity of Jesus Christ. In the early church, there was a term that came up called docetism. Then that referred to the fact of denying the humanity of Jesus and saying that he truly wasn't really human, he couldn't have taken on human flesh, and that concept, that theological error came in and brought in all kinds of problems and theological problems to the church for a long time. It still happens today. The opposite of docetism, though, is denying the deity of Jesus Christ. You see, there was a man back in the early church, his name was Arian, and Arian promoted that concept of saying, well, you know what, he really couldn't have been divine, there's no way that a holy God could come to the earth and mix with sinful flesh. So they separated the concept and said, yeah, well, he was human, but he wasn't fully divine. Somehow his divinity was kept separate from his humanity because the two could never mix together. And see, and that again brought in all kinds of errors to the church. But what we say, if you look at our statement of faith, we're saying that we believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, remember, being made flesh, fully God and fully man, one person in two natures. See, we believe that the doctrine of the incarnation, as we see it here, is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. Because what we're going to find is when we look at and explore why did Jesus come, Jesus had to be fully man, and he had to be fully God to accomplish the reasons for why he came to this earth. Now, we, here we have the Son of God, and what he did was without forsaking his divine nature or diminishing his divinity, took on human flesh as a little baby. So let's get back to that question. Why? Why did the Son of God take on human flesh? And to answer that question, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to look at starting at verse 14. 
If you don't have a Bible today, just if you would want, raise your hands and our ushers will be glad to get you one. And being, this is appropriate being the Sunday before Christmas. If you don't have one at home, take one with you as our Christmas gift to you. And please keep it. But we're going to begin reading in Hebrews chapter 2 with verse 14. Just going to read the first two verses. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. As we look at just those two verses, what we see here are three key reasons as to why Jesus Christ came to the earth. And the first, Jesus came so he could die. Sounds like a little bit of a depressing reason to come, but in reality, all of us are born and all of us are going to die. Now, Jesus, as God, would never have had to face death. But Jesus Christ came to the earth took on human flesh so he could die and accomplish some things that we're going to take a look at. But as we look at verse 14, it starts out, and I'm going to go back to verse 14 for a moment. It says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood. Who are the children here? It's us. It's as humanity, it's, it's humankind. Since we are made of flesh and blood, Jesus became human because we are human, and he had to be one of us. And what we see is that God's great aim throughout, when we go back into history, was to have a, ha a family of human children of which Jesus, the Son of God, was one of them. Can you picture that? Here we have Jesus in all of his glory in heaven came down and took on human flesh so he could become one of us. What an amazing concept to think about. You know, Jesus took on that flesh so he could die because Jesus as God couldn't die. Something had to change. But Jesus as man could die. So Jesus took on human flesh so that he would be able to die. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, gives us some insight onto that. Let me take a look at that. It says, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. That statement alone, if we use the term brethren, think of it, let's say brothers and sisters. He's talking about us. He had to be made like his brothers and sisters, us, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, the top half of that slide is the inspired word of God. The bottom half of the slide is the uninspired words of Bob. Um, I thought I would just give you a little help. The word propitiation, it means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and in so doing changes God's wrath toward us into favor. A lot of times when you hear the word propitiation in theological terms, you'll hear the word satisfied. See, Jesus, 
when he became our propitiation, what it means, he satisfied the wrath of God that was due for every one of us that we couldn't pay ourselves. Jesus took it upon himself and he satisfied God's wrath by taking our sin. I'm going to talk about that one a little bit later. But this is a pretty significant thing when you think about it, that he satisfied God's wrath on our behalf. And the first part talks about how he did that. It says, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. You see, what I want to give a little bit of a, a contrast to show you is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Because when Jesus says he became a high priest, it helps us to understand, well, who were the high priests and what did they do? Well, if we go back into the Old Testament, the Old Testament followers of God were living under what was called the Old Covenant. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, the prophet Jeremiah predicted a change. He told, he told them that one day we'll be living under a new covenant. It's the first time that that was used in Jeremiah 31. And he talked about the new covenant and he said, no longer will the law of God be written on stone tablets. Instead, it'll be written on the hearts of men. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, which didn't happen until Acts chapter 2, after Jesus died on the cross and went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit living in us, God's law, God's word is alive and living in us, no longer on stone tablets, but on the hearts of men. So we've received that promise already as in that blessing that Jeremiah prophesied. But he said, Jeremiah, when he described the new covenant, he also said, and then God will take away the sins of the people and take away our iniquities. You see, he was predicting that one day, he didn't know the details back then, but what he was predicting is one day a Savior would come who would offer up a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people that follow him. Take away, the, well, we could say the sins of the world, but those who trust in Jesus Christ. You see, that's now, if you look at the Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant, we would have the high priest would be offering animal sacrifices to God on behalf of the people for the sins of the people. So the high priest would be offering these animal sacrifices. Why? Because the people were sinners and they needed to be made right with God. So year after year, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of animals would be sacrificed. But I'm going to give you a little homework if you want to look into it further. We don't have time to cover it today. But Hebrews chapter 10 goes into detail explaining that animal sacrifices in and of themselves. Excuse me a moment. I'm really glad we don't have three services. Um, animal sacrifices in and of themselves were not satisfying to God. That something more was needed. And it goes on to talk about Jesus Christ who came as the perfect sacrifice that satisfied God for all of eternity. You see, think about the animals. It wasn't that it was bad. God instituted that system. And people were told to sacrifice those animals to be in a right relationship with God. But the only way that those Old Testament saints ever made it to heaven was through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
You see, they were kind of, God accepted their sacrifices knowing that one day on their behalf, a perfect sacrifice was going to be made. We live on this side of the cross. So we are, God is satisfied on our behalf because of our sins, because when, <coughs> when Jesus died on that cross and resurrected, and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, all of your sins <coughs> were passed on to Jesus himself. Think about it. You can almost picture this room filled with us as sinners before we trusted Jesus Christ. There we can visualize the cross that Jesus died on. It's almost like we could, once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's as if our sins were just transferred over. And it says there that the debt of our iniquity was nailed. The record of our death of, our, of iniquity was nailed to the cross. Picture all of your sins that you've committed in the past, today, probably right even while we're going through this message, and on into the future, your sins were nailed to that cross. See, that's what Jesus Christ did for us. That's the difference between the old covenant and the new. See, in the old covenant, animals time and time again had to continually be sacrificed. In the new, in the, under the new covenant, one sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, was acceptable to God for all eternity. That's why we don't sacrifice animals anymore. The other difference... Jesus said he became our high priest. In the old covenant, we had human men who were high priests. They would be there for a number of years and they would die. Somebody else would serve as the high priest. He would die. Somebody else would serve as the high priest. He would die. And these were sinful men who God accepted because of the rituals of purification that they went through, but they were still sinful, imperfect men. So high priests that were acceptable to God, but didn't satisfy the role for all eternity. Now we go to the new covenant, and what do we see here? It says that Jesus became our merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus, the perfect high priest, is now our high priest for all eternity. And he no longer has to offer animal sacrifices day after day, because our merciful and faithful perfect high priest went to the cross and offered the perfect sacrifice that's good for all eternity see now we look at the those are the contrasts between the old covenant and the new and we say well why then did jesus have to die so that he could become our high priest and offer the perfect sacrifice that's forever pleasing to god now we can start to understand why Jesus had to die. Now, as we go back and look at verse 14 again, we come into our second reason that Jesus came. We saw first he took on flesh and blood that he could, so he could die. The second reason, he died so he could defeat Satan. Put that up for a moment, but then I want to go back to the passage. Three reasons, the first two, so he could die, so he could defeat Satan. The Gospel of John says that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. And I want to make sure that we get a proper understanding of who Satan is. You see, Jesus, when we draw this contrast between Jesus who defeated Satan, Jesus was eternal. Now, that's a concept that can blow your mind. Think back, eternity past. There's no end. It goes on and on and on without any end. Jesus Christ was eternal going back 
and going forward in time. He had no beginning. He had no end. Satan was a created being. Satan was not eternal going back in time. Jesus himself was the creator. Satan is the created being. So what we see here is, and sometimes we think about it, because you know, I, what I want to do is I want to give you a proper understanding of the formidable opponent that Satan is, but also limit our concept of how, how formidable he is. Because for us as human beings, if we stood before Satan today, I'll tell you, we, we are no, we're no match. I mean, if you go back and you see, and it talks about when the angels were cast out of heaven, Satan rests, rests, um, wrestled with the archangel Michael, and it sounded like it was a brutal battle. And Michael overcomes Satan and cast him out of heaven. So Satan, here one of the greatest, the archangel Michael, Satan was an, a formidable opponent for Michael. But see, that wasn't Jesus Christ. If you look at the book of Revelation, how is Jesus going to defeat Satan at the end at the army of battle, uh, Armageddon? With a word. It's not even a battle. See, we have the creator and we have the creation. Now, it tells you where we are because the difference between us and Satan is unbelievable. We would never want to just face Satan on our own. But the wonderful thing is we don't have to ever face him on our own because Jesus has already defeated him on our behalf. A little later this week, my family and I, we got tickets to go see the new Star Wars movie coming up. And I don't know if anybody here has seen it yet. Don't give any spoilers. But um, sometimes we kind of think about the spiritual battle of Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom, and we kind of relate it almost in our minds to Star Wars. I don't know if you do that. But in some ways, there's some similarities. There's the theme of darkness and light. What happened when we trusted Jesus Christ? We were moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's a beautiful imagery. Star Wars is filled with the imagery of light. If you think back to the whole Star Wars movies, you have what color usually goes with the Empire? Outside of the stormtroopers who are all white. It's black, right? It's the, it's the evil Empire. And you look at it, the Empire, they have the Death Star, they've got millions of people, the good guys never stand a chance, the, the, you know, the Empire is always the stronger enemy, they're always hoping that they can get a glimmer of hope to defeat the Empire, right? That's not the battle that we're looking at in the spiritual realm. No time in history has God ever been out of control. No time in history, backward or forward, will God ever have the possibility of facing defeat. You see, he has won the battle on our behalf. So that's kind of where the whole Star Wars analogy comes to an end. But one of the things that Satan has is Satan has a weapon to be used against us that's a formidable weapon. It's something that we could never overcome, and it's unforgiven sin. And you see, when Jesus Christ defeated Satan on the cross, he took that weapon out of Satan's hands, and he gave us the victory because Jesus gave us the forgiveness of sins. See, that's how, that's how Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. The only weapon that Satan had against us was unforgiven sin. But because of that unforgiven sin, all of us were going to face the wrath of God. But when Jesus died on that cross, he brought forgiveness of sins to those who put their faith in Jesus. And we don't have to face the wrath of God anymore. It leads us right to the final point that I want to share for the third point today. So he could free us from slavery 
to the fear of death. You know, as we look at that, I want to go back to verse 15. As we read verse 15, it ends and says, you know, he becomes our great high priest, and it says here, he also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless, this is Satan, him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You see, folks, that's you and me. We were subject to slavery, what it says here, all of our lives through the fear of death. Every one of us, when we were born, was, we're going to face death. All of us are still going to face physical death, unless Jesus happens to come back in the rapture beforehand. But we're going to face physical death. And death is a, you know, when you think about it, it's not what God ever intended. I, I, you know, for me as a pastor, I've this past year, and every year, but this past year, have walked through the death of a loved one with several families at this church. You know, not only do we feel the emotion as pastors of the grief that the family's experiencing, but we're losing friends as well. I can remember sitting on the bed of one of my friends who passed from this life to the next not that long ago. And then to see the family suffer, but trust me, when God from heaven watches his children suffer and he watches them face physical death, God grieves because God never intended it to be that way. I try to share that as much as I can at memorial services. You see, when God created Adam and Eve and they were in the garden, God never intended for them to have to experience physical death. But when they rebelled and they chose to sin, and that sin was passed on to all of us with a sin nature, we all now have to experience physical death. But the beautiful thing is, it doesn't end there. You see, Jesus got, brought us victory over death. And at Christmas, what a wonderful time it is to celebrate that when we die, that's not the end. When we die, uh, you know, it's always dangerous for a man to use um, childbearing as an illustration, but um, I'll step into the danger zone. Um, I don't think there's any woman who has ever looked forward to going through labor. You see, but when you go through labor, there'd only ever be families with one child if it wasn't for the joy that comes after the labor, the new birth. You leave the hospital with a precious little baby. It's probably the only reason that women go back a second, third, fourth time, or whatever it may be. But you see, just like labor, when we go through physical death, you see, we pass from this life onto something so much greater. And see, that's the victory that Jesus has given us, because we as believers in Jesus Christ never have to face spiritual death. We die physically, and we go right into glory. I know I shared this illustration, this story, um, probably a couple years ago, but when I was a pastor, my first church was in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And when I was a pastor there, there was one of our elders was an elderly man. I was probably in my 30s at the time. He was in his 90s. And he had been a career missionary all of his career. Godly man. He, would, he, he poured himself into the lives of 
the men in our church coming alongside, you know, because his ministry that was in the Philippines was over. He um, came back probably in his early 80s, and for about the next 12 years, he just poured himself into the young men, when I say young, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. He poured himself into, as a disciple maker into others. What a godly man he was. And um, he's one of those people that when you think of finishing well, for me as a pastor, I look at him as a role model that finished well. And he was on his deathbed, and he was in the hospital, and he was reading his Bible. And a nurse walked in, and she said, oh, what are you reading? And he said, I'm reading a travel guide. I'm about to take a trip. And um, she said, oh, really? And he said, yeah, can I tell you about where I'm going? And used it as a transition to share about Jesus Christ. But you see, uh, when we think about death, Satan, his tool, his weapon against us of for the for unforgiven sins was taken away. And Jesus gave us victory over our fear and the slavery of death. So that now, as Christians, when we sing, we can sing the song and really mean it. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's been completely removed. Yes, we have to walk through it, but the victory and the sting of death has been taken out of Satan's hands. Back in the 80s, here we go back in time again, um, a, a band, not a Christian band, a secular band, probably you know them, the, the Police, with their lead singer and songwriter Sting, wrote a song back in the 80s that was called, Oh My God. And I want to read the words to this, just the beginning part of the song. It says, everyone I know is lonely, with God so far away, and my heart belongs to no one. So now sometimes I pray, take the space between us, fill it up some way. Take the space between us, fill it up, fill it up. Now, Sting is an acclaimed, um, he's, he calls himself an agnostic. And when he wrote that song, what he was talking about was the distance that he felt between God and himself. And he was thinking about the suffering that he sees all around. He was talking about the things that he has to go through and saying, God, you seem so far away. Take the space between us and fill it up, fill it up. And as that song went on, the refrain kept coming back that they would just say, fill it up some way, take the space between us, fill it up. You see, what he was experiencing is the reality of those people in a relation, not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That might be some of you here today, that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is this space, there is this gap between us and God that can only be filled by one thing. And for centuries, people have tried to fill it up with money, with fame, with political power, with good works, with relationships, and nothing can fill up that space apart from Jesus Christ. And as we think about Christmas, and we think, why did Jesus come? I think you can almost sum up a lot of what I said <coughs> about he came so he could die. He same came so he could defeat Satan. He came so that he could remove the fear of death from all of us, Jesus came so he could fill up that space between you and God. I want to um, give you an image to think about at Christmas. I already mentioned the Christmas tree represents Christmas in our minds, 
this tree has presents underneath for you. Christmas morning, I said in the first service, we're, we're going to go downstairs, and I lied because I live in a ranch house. But um, Christmas morning, we're all going to go to the tree, and there's presents under that tree. I shared a little bit of this at the Thanksgiving Eve service, but pi picture in your mind. There is a box under that tree, and you have had a box under that tree every year since the day you were born, that one day at your death, you're going to have to open that box, and that box is filled with the wrath of God. See, because every one of us, we are sinners, and apart from the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus Christ, we're going to have to open up that box, and the wrath of God is going to be poured out. What a horrible thing to think about. But you see, when Jesus came and he removed unforgiven sins as a weapon from Satan, and if you trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins, the moment you did, that Christmas box was emptied out and the wrath of God was completely removed. So one day, when you open up that box, the wrath of God will never be poured out upon you because it was poured out upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And not only is that box empty, but instead God filled it up with blessings that you could never even count. He's given you eternal life. He's called you a child of God. You're an heir of a king. You're an adopted child of God. Think about Galatians and what comes to believers, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We could go on. Who wouldn't want the fruit of the Spirit wrapped up on Christmas morning given to us? So picture that imagery. You've always had a box under the tree. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, it's filled with the wrath of God. If you have trusted Jesus Christ, it is filled, the wrath of God is gone, and the blessings that come with Jesus Christ are in that box. And I want to ask this morning, maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know if you've trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins the most important decision you could ever make would be to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And I also want us to picture all of the loved ones that we know that don't know Jesus Christ. What better gift could you give them than sharing the good news of the gospel so that the box that's under their tree would no longer be filled with the wrath of God, but it would be filled with the blessings of God and the wrath of God has been removed by Jesus Christ. So, that's why Jesus came into the world. Jesus came so he could die for you. Jesus came so he could defeat Satan, so that you no longer had to live under the penalty of unforgiven sins. And Jesus came so that you no longer had to live as a slave to the fear of death, but you could know that one day you would be with Jesus Christ in eternity, and you could sing, O oh, death, where is your victory? Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we celebrate Christmas that we have a Savior who came to this earth, who loved us so very much, who died upon a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, as we celebrate Christmas this year, help us to remember that the manger of Jesus Christ is so beautifully intertwined with the cross because Jesus loves us so very much. Lord, help us to keep Christ at the center of our Christmas.
and help us to tell the world around us about the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I hope we see you here on Tuesday. Remember, it's 2.30, 4 o'clock, and 6 o'clock. Have a wonderful celebration of the birth of Christ.